Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. If you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We've been on a journey here at Grace Harvest Church for the last several months. It's called the Transform Life. Our desire has been that we would be able to walk you through the idea that an encounter with Christ should mean a life transformed, amen? And so when you get a hold of this idea in your heart and mind, it really lends to the success of what it means to live a life in Christ. And so we're going to walk through this morning, jumping off of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We recognize that it is possible for you to be raised in the church or to be in this house and never be transformed. Come on. There are some of you that that statement may apply to. I'm not pointing fingers, I don't know. But the idea that right here in our gathering and in our midst that there could be people who have professed Christ and have walked the journey with him or or in church, they're regular, they're faithful in attendance, they do the thing. But along the way, transformation has been minimal. The idea that leaning into the yielding of their life and exchanging one life for another, that would be the nature of Christ and working in through them. And so this morning, I want to kind of work through some of this thought. This is not a thought for new believers. I am speaking to people who've had a relationship with God and profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we're going to talk about that here. And so in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm going to read the text. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament, letters to the early church, instruction, foundational, set up. Letters in a response to words that were heard about how the early church was forming in the cities that he had set them up in. Some of it uh, from other couriers and friends and people of faith who had come through town. And now, let me remind you that this isn't the day and age of cell phones. Some of you say, duh. But, but just understand that when we talk about information travel, we could be talking about months or years depending on how and the process, if you just decided, hey, I'm on a journey, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to walk to my next location, hang out for a little while, and then continue on with the message and the note and the letter that I have from my first stop. And so the Apostle Paul is listening to chatter and, and, and feedback and how was your visit? How was your visit? Tell me how it went. And, and, and the, the, the feedback from other Christians could, could be anything. Could have been, man, they love the Lord. They're serving. They're giving. They're caring for one another. They're doing the thing, Apostle Paul. Praise the Lord. But then other feedback, and we know this is the case, other feedback was not that. Apostle Paul, let me hear what's going on in the church. And so their feedback is like, well, let me tell you what's going on in this church. Here's a list of what's happening. In other words, Christians behaving badly. 
And you know, in the Apostle Paul, I love the, I love the intersection and the jump into to many of his letters. And just the thought is that he was under no illusions. In fact, in one text, it says, you know, he's challenging, challenging them in the way of Christ. And then he says, assuming that you were taught in the way of Christ at all. Uh, meaning, though, that there could have been some people, churches or gatherings of people, that, that maybe they encountered the Lord, they, they gave their life, they're saying, man, I love this gathering, I'm going to do the thing, but never yielded to, sat under good teaching, and then gave their life to the apostles' teachings. They didn't obey, they didn't submit, they didn't yield to, they didn't give up, they didn't die to self. And so they continued behaving the way they have always behaved. Think about this. Think about a church full of people behaving the way that they've always behaved. For, for example, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the Apostles Paul's letters to that church is a great example of the kind of early Christians and behavior that was happening. There was all kinds of things going on. Things that we would say, oh my goodness, what is that? They're not real Christians, they're doing the thing. And the Apostle Paul encourages them, writes in the text, uh, you need to stop that, don't do that. That's a disgrace. Repent of this. When you gather, do things this way. It's a great read. And oftentimes it's a mere to our own heart and lives. Oh, they were lusting after who and what? What is happening here? Just everybody save the church. It was the church. And so the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to set up, to reestablish, to give, to give instruction on how Christians should behave. And so we've been on this journey of a transformed life trying to bring people through the concept that when you have an encounter in a relationship with Jesus, it should lead to a transformation of heart and mind. Like that is the, that is the goal, that's the desire, the molding and shaping into the image of Christ. And so several weeks ago we talked about uh, the Apostle Paul's charge in Romans that we're to be no longer conformed to the ways and customs, patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's a great concept. It's a, I love the concept. So the Apostle Paul was aware that you are what you eat. The Apostle Paul was aware in a charge that what you consume, even with your mind, with your eyes, with your ears, for understanding can affect and have an effect on who you are and how that translates through you. And in, in, in the way of the natural, it's this application that you reflect, and we all know this, that you know, people who, who are, are good with their diet and good with, with, with the, the discipline of life and their eating, you know that you are what you eat. I reflect that in my life. You know this. I mean, we know that it's a numbers game in calorie content and diet. You know this, ooh, if I eat that, I shouldn't eat that, and... If I have this much, I should only have this much. And, you know, and that's an area in my life. I'm like, I'll take both. <laughs> However, here's the thing. 
that the apostle Paul was aware that in the early church there needed to be something happen differently in the way that they consumed information or what they were setting themselves under so that the effect that it had was true transformation in the heart and mind. No longer be conformed to the ways and customs of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody say mind. Mind. So we're going to talk about this. When we get a hold of this idea, it begins to change something. Change something. So 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We believe this. We believe that when somebody has an encounter with Christ and yields their life, and there's, a, there's an exchange that happens, my life for yours. That new thing is the arrival of the kingdom of God and his establishment in our heart and in our mind and the yielding to that. The old is, is done. There's this, there's this tension through scripture and the story of the old nature and the new nature that we, that we yield and slough off of the old identity to take on a new identity in Christ. It's, it's the nature of the gospel that you have been redeemed and saved and set free for another and his name is Jesus, amen? And so when we begin to work through this idea that you are a new creation in Christ, like it's something to begin, but here's the problem. You ever, you, ever, you ever heard of the word callous? Sometimes you can be around the, the issue, the topic, the thing, and, and grow a, so accustomed to it. And the language and the verbiage and the way that you forget that you're supposed to apply it yourself. And not just point the finger at others. Amen? Like it's supposed to be this application that you're, you're consuming, that it begins to, you know, you're, you're, you're eating the word of God, so to speak. Do not be conformed any longer to the ways. And then what comes out of you is a different way. Like, oh, I'm thinking differently. Where I, where I would have done that, I'm thinking this is the right option here. All my life I've done this, but this is the new thing. Whoa. The way of God. So, the moment you were born again, you received a new identity. Welcome to the family of God. We talked about this early on. If you were here, the idea that you're brought from one place to another, that you leave one family, you're brought into a new family, the family of God. It's a, it's a new kingdom, a new household, a new way. And those ways are for your benefit. And sometimes we would chafe against them or, or work against them or question or set aside. But the truth is, is that the word of God is meant for our good. Sometimes it really hurts. The laying down, the submitting, the obeying. But as Christians... Understanding the idea that we didn't earn this, that it was bestowed on us through something called grace. Like, like God's, God's unmerited favor, his kindness, and, that, and also his enabling power that would allow us to receive and be open and then to, to live this Christian life out. It's not by your own works, lest anyone would boast. It is by all by him. Amen? Amen. 
And the Apostle Paul was intent on trying to work this through the message of the Gospels, the good news, the letters that he would write. Just focus. I've heard this news. Here's some names. Here's the behavior that I've heard. It not ought to be amongst you. Go through the epistles and count that phrase. It not ought to be amongst you. Here is a new way. This new way is for your benefit. Amen? Amen. So in Romans 6.6, 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with, and, and this applies to our whole pastoral staff, of just the idea of Christians who, who continue to yield their life to a pattern of sinful behavior. And what I'm really talking about is an enslavement mindset. Like, it's almost like it's just animalistic in nature. They just kick and they go do the thing. And in talking through the idea that, wait a minute, something, an encounter with Christ, something yielding in this supernatural idea is that you ought to be consuming this new thing that begins to be a hedge and a safety and a reminder and the Holy Spirit working in you that, that causes a moment of pause when those cravings or desires come up. Oh, what is happening right now? Lord, help me. Lord, lead and guide me right here in this moment. Do what it is that you need to do. I will not yield. I'm going to say something. And so, and so we're talking about this way that right here in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will to work for his good pleasure. You see, you were created for good works in the new nature, in the kingdom of God, in the household of God. That, that right here, it's the Lord at work in you that would be worked out through you. The thing is, we have to be open to that process, right? Like we have to go along with, with the counsel and the wisdom of Scripture and the words that are spoken to us and, and what we see and what we read and what we take from, from, from all the good stuff we've consumed. And all of a sudden, we're allowing that information to begin to have its work. And it begin to just churn in our heart. That it becomes the foremost thing that we give weight to or we let influence us and so how do we bring that how does this apply in a practical way well when we begin to understand that the work of God in our lives was not us we didn't earn it we can't be good enough for it it begins to influence and affect our relationships with other people and believers in the family and household of God. It begins to churn. And in our daily lives, in a practical way, it, it, we begin to understand that in John 8, 6, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That we would be a people that embrace freedom. Think about this. If you've ever been enslaved to a way of thinking pattern of behavior, feelings, moods, whatever, and you get set free, whether it's instantaneous or it's a journey, maybe it's a training through it, and then you're on the other side and you can see something about that process and something is different. 
Whenever you hear the contrast or you hear enslavement or you hear uh, what, what is happening to somebody who's still in the thing, you have a response that begins to well up inside of you. If you've ever been set free, your response is to want to share that understanding of the possibility that there could be another way. That's why testimonies are so powerful. You hear, you hear the testimony of people, and all of a sudden something rises in you. Wow, that's so good. I forgot that God still does that. Yes, I want that. It's like an encouragement that stirs in your soul that we would be a people that embrace freedom. And then we understand in 1 John 5, 4, that for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That we recognize that we're a people of faith. Amen? That this isn't just a, 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 an intellectual pursuit of natural understanding, but, but our response and process too is we are believing in a supernatural God who can do supernatural things. Amen? And that it's a supernatural work that he gets into the heart and mind of people and begins to change them. That we're a people of faith. That it's this process that, we, that we're willing to hang on to the principles that, that have been written in Scripture and declared from people. And we look through, through the process of time and history. We see, wow, the word of the Lord is this. And so we are hanging on to that. It's powerful. Right here, even in this church, there, have been, there are people who bear testimonies of mountaintop experiences, victorious moments, and then valley moments. Depths and despair. And the testimony that they share is that in those moments, they never let go. They hung on. They, they refused to quit. It, it, was, it was the thing that no matter what happens, I will not let go. Our faith, our ability to believe, we are a people who believe, amen? Amen. We're a people who believe that God can and will and continue to do all the things that we see in the New Testament and Scripture. And we're going to believe faith. And then we consider Romans chapter 6, verse 11. We consider that we are dead to sin and we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're alive. Think, think about this. There's a song I heard years ago in Portland from, uh, I think it was the worship, youth worship band there at uh, Manor House, um, Generation Unleashed. It's called, I Am Alive. I think that the main gist, I'm not singing it for you, come on, is the idea, I am alive because you are alive. The impetus there is that God regenerates and gives life, Amen. And that he can take the broken things and heal them up. And that he can breathe life into the things that were lifeless. And he is a God that renews and restores. And this is, this is the foundational thing that we as Christians, it's easy to lose sight of the idea that God is a God that heals and saves and redeems and restores. That translates. That translates. Whoa, that translates that no one is too far gone. Whoa, what? What? No one's too far gone. That God's arm is not too short to save. That, that he's on the move for people. That we want to be a people that proclaim hope to a world out there. Amen? 
And how we do that is keeping on the forefront of our mind that Jesus saves, that he rescues, that he redeems, that it shouldn't be a surprise when anyone from out there comes in here and, and all of a sudden your world filters are on like, oh, look, look who's here today. It's like, hey, it's good to see you today. You, wanna, you need to see, come sit with me. Let's. And then the whole time you're just praying, Lord, touch it right where they're at, you know. Rescue them, redeem them, heal them. Whatever it is, you meet them right where they're at. Encourage them, strengthen them. Do all those things that you do. Because that's what God does, right? Like it's our perspective that, that we begin to get a hold of and it's, it becomes bedrock. I didn't earn it. You did all this for me, God, okay. And there's a world out there that needs you. We're going to embrace freedom. We want to be and have an understanding that, God, you can set people free, that you would work in them. So think, thinking about this, thinking about this working through, that it's by grace that we're saved, that we're a people who, who a transform life, that there should be markers of transformation in and through us. When we begin to get a hold of those things is that it helps us in difficult times and during temptation. Think, think about this. Everyone here is going to have a difficult time sometime. Whether it's a circumstance, whether it's just in the mind and heart, maybe something here. I can tell you that some of my biggest challenges have been right in here. Left unchecked, no conversations, not the right people around, and my mind goes to some dark places, depths of despair. And it can happen pretty fast at times. It depends. I just get to brooding and thinking through and bam, next thing I know, that I need people around me who are like, hey, what's going on? What's up? Hey, let's talk. You know, get it, work it out of me. That, that I have an understanding that I no longer live according to the dictates of my old nature. I no longer live in the, in the place of, of where I'm going to degrade myself and my thought life so low that I'm not worthy of anything else. No, because the word of God says, that I am a son, and that I am loved, and I'm a son of the king, and I've been redeemed and reborn, and it's a new day. And the word that comes from the blood of Christ is one of hope and of life and of liberty. And sometimes I speak that to myself, lay my hand on my head. Sometimes when no one else is around, I'm like, Lord, your word says. And then somebody walks in like, what are you doing? Oh, I just had an itch here. I'm just scratching my no, sometimes like, oh, you caught me praying for myself. Sometimes I have to tell myself, Raul, you will listen to the words I'm about to tell you. Like, this is the thing. The Bible says that I no longer live according to the dictates of my old nature because I've been crucified with Christ and it's his life in me. Come on, somebody. Like, we, like we as Christians get a hold of this, this idea that the next time it gets dark and lowly and low and challenges come and we get oppressed that we remember that whether on the mountaintop, the Lord's presence is near or whether in the valley, his presence is near. A couple weeks ago, I was standing up here just getting ready to talk and somebody walked by and just really quick said a sentence to me, just like a drive-by encouragement and just kept walking and they said, just remember that even in the valley, grass grows in the valley the lord will sustain you and i gotta tell you i've been chewing on that for weeks it's like whoa <laughs> wow 
Grass grows in the valley. Thank you, God. That we understand that God's grace flows in our life. Here's a big one. As Christians, sometimes we understand the principle that we've received grace from God. And, And so we have relationship with God. We've been accepted by him. And we have been forgiven. But grace isn't just unmerited favor. It's his divine enablement to live this Christian life out and to be a dispenser of grace to others. Come on, somebody. And sometimes we forget that next thing. Oh, I'm to be grace-filled with others as well and to show them the life of Christ in me to others. And an encouragement that sometimes we need to learn how to give grace to ourselves for ourselves. Now think about this. We receive the grace of God, and spiritually we have right standing before God. But, but here's the thing. We are stuck with ourselves. You've been stuck with yourself your whole life. And your mind and your heart have a long memory. Come on, somebody, right? Like, you know, you know you. You can tell stories from years past. You know you. And sometimes the ability to give grace to yourself and forgiveness because of the grace of God that's been shown to you comes difficult. Instead of being able to say, Father, you've forgiven me. Help me to forgive myself. I'm a new creation. I no longer am that person that I once was. Today is a new day. Help me to see that. All of a sudden, our thoughts begin to shift to no longer our failures, and instead we begin to look that Jesus is the one who fixes and cares for and heals. Someone's like, Lord, do that. Do that in me. Heal and care for. That we would be reminded that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12, 2, that, that we would, sometimes that's the word that spe- speaks over my life or I speak it over others, is just remember that it's Jesus who started this work and he's gonna be faithful to complete it. Don't keep a record against yourself. That's what the enemy does. You lean into Christ when you don't know what else to do. Run to him. Run to him, Father. I, I'm here to tell you, I've made a mistake. I've made a mess. I I can't seem to get this thing right. I need your love to pour out to me. Your grace and mercy to be made known to me again right here in this moment. There's there's many of us that need that revelation in the moment. And it's just something that when it begins to arrive, you're like, right, I am free. Because one of the challenges is is self-condemnation, right? Like, man, we can't seem to move forward. And because we were self-condemned, there's no hope moving forward. We get stuck. And so we go back to the thing that we've done that's normal, that we're familiar with, and that we know the outcome of. But the Apostle Paul is saying, it's a new day. It's something new. It's time to change. It's time to, to reorient and to, and to get moving through and to understand that you are loved and I'm not talking about this, this idea of greasy grace and, and free love that doesn't have a, a call to holiness or righteousness. The Apostle Paul's writings are all about bringing a people to a place that they would understand that they are created for something different. Not the same thing as the world. 
And so that we would remember that it's Jesus who started it. He's going to complete it. Thank you, Lord. I'm in you. That we would remember that in Hebrews 4.16, says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's a, that's a, that's a great charge. That's a great call. That's a great reminder that in your needy moment, there is one that we can run to. Whether you were innocent or whether you were guilty and created it. There is one that we could run to. There is one that we could turn to to say, God, I need you now. I need your covering. I need your enablement. I need you now. And because we understand that he loves us, we're not ashamed, and we're not held in prison, and we are free. But sometimes it's that working through that information from out here to here to here, and then acting that out. You see, there's something that begins to happen when we begin to get a hold of the idea that we're loved and it's a new day and, and it's him who lives in us. Is that It begins to balance our walk with God and our soul. When I know who I am in Christ, I'm not tossed to and fro by emotions. And this is a challenge. I know this from firsthand. Man, I used to be, and maybe still am, like a ship at sea in a storm in my soul, emotion-wise. I could go from laughing and to whew, anger, and the pendulum could swing. And, and then I begin to like walk through, Lord, I need some balance here. I need a, an understanding of who you are and what it means to be grounded in you. And, and as I begin to work through all of these things, something began to happen in my soul. I can tell you, I can still get angry. And still laugh, all those things, and those are healthy human emotions. But I feel as though, because my trust is in Christ, I understand that He got me. I understand that I'm not on my own. I understand that no matter what happens, and I might go through hard times, and it may be very difficult, that I am loved. That's a, that's, a, that's a reality that I need to get, needed to get a hold of that all of a sudden I begin to, it, it begin to like settle some things about my responses and, and understanding. And I know that my relationship with God does not change based on today's performance. It's a big one, people. You know how many conversations I have with people I talk to? talk with them through and, and, and actually our pastoral staff about the idea that how you doing, how's your Bible reading, how's prayer, how's your relationship with God. And they can begin to systemically or just walk through systematically their behavior, the feeling of not being accepted by God, therefore the staying away from all those things. And then bringing them right back to the moment to say, God is right here, right now. And he loves you. And he was there in your mess. And he was there in that mess. And he was here in this conversation. And today's performance didn't push him away. He's been present right here. Now knowing that he loves you and has been here in all of those moments, let's talk about your prayer life and Bible reading and your relationship with God again. And all of a sudden, the starting position has been changed and, and the idea that, oh, Lord, you desire to be with me or I with you. 
help me. And when I begin to get a hold of the idea that it's a new day, a hold of the idea that transformation happens and is happening, it begins to affect that I understand that nothing is changed by the way others think of me or anything they would say about me. I am a child of God. This is, this is an important point in that today in the age of social media, gauging self-worth on how many likes a post had or how many views my little video had and then actually talking to people, walking them through discouragement and taking them out of depression and reorienting a thought about, wait a minute, I know your Facebook profile and Insta and all that stuff, but let's just set that aside for a moment. Because nothing compares to your value in Christ. And his word is the final word over your life. And when he says you're valuable, that's the last word about it. And when he says you're accepted, that's the last word about it. And when he says you are forgiven and redeemed and washed, that is the last word about it. And if something begins to work that you recognize that you're standing in position as a child of God and, and your value in that, foundationally, begin to see that we want people at Grace Harvest Church to love God, love people, and be transformed. We, we know that the entry point of wherever that was in your life of Christ, that it's not his desire to leave you the way he found you, amen? That it's desire to bring you through and to show you his faithfulness and his steadiness and that he will work in your life for his goodwill, amen? And sometimes that will be very uncomfortable. His word may challenge you. The Holy Spirit may convict you and encourage you and speak to you and say, not that today, this. Don't do that, this. Come on, say this to them right now. Go do that. And, and you're thinking obedience for them and he's thinking obedience for you. Oh Lord, you wanted me to say something. Okay, I'm going to do it. And it works both ways. Two are encouraged. Amen? See, God's on the move here. And he, and he is drawing people and changing people and encouraging people. And we want you in your life to get a hold of the things that God would have for you today, tomorrow, the next day. And it starts with the idea that you are a recipient of unmerited favor. You couldn't earn it. It was his grace towards you. And so you have no reason to be proud about that. And in all humility, loving other people through you. Amen? Amen. That he's good all the time. And he is near and present with you.